Welcome to the Hunter's Quest Podcast. This is your host, and yes, my name is Hunter, but this is our quest. Hello and welcome back to the show, everybody. It's good to be with you, and I'm back this week with a uh, more normal format type show. I've had a couple bonus episodes lately, but today is another full just uh, interview episode with a really cool guest who I'll tell you about here in a second. Um, but I did want to talk about really quick, if you... You know, went to my. If you follow me on Instagram um, at the Hunter's Quest, you may have seen some uh, pictures of me going out and doing some spear fishing the other day. And I just wanted to talk about that real quick because some people had asked about it. So my hunting partner Ned, who um, is a former Navy Special Warfare uh, veteran, and um, went out with him and another buddy of his, who's actually an active duty Navy SEAL. Um, and we went to the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel and did some spearfishing uh, and free diving. And this was way out of my comfort zone, guys. Um, I do not really like water. I don't really like, especially murky water you can't see in. Um, but I recorded a podcast a couple weeks ago that hasn't aired yet with a former Navy SEAL named Rich Devinney, uh, who wrote a book called The Attributes. And one of the things in that book... Uh, and something that is talked about a lot now is just getting out of your comfort zone and doing things that scare you um, and how good that is for you. So um, when I was listening to that book, I was actually out on a run. I was listening to the book and he said that and I um, and I right then and there made the conscious decision. I texted Ned and I said, hey, man, take me spearfishing with you next time you go. Um, and I was doing it literally not really because I wanted to, but because I knew it freaked me out and scared me. Um, so, you know, you're out there and the current is going pretty good. Um, like I said, the visibility on a good day, which was, it was a pretty good day when we're out there is, you know, three or four feet. Um, and you're diving around all these huge rocks in this big jetty. Um, very much out of my comfort zone. Uh, not going to lie. It was pretty creepy. Um, but you know, I went out there and did it, um, very humbling experience. I came close, almost got a few fish, but I didn't actually kill any fish, but, um, the other guys I with, I, I was with obviously very experienced divers and, uh, and spear fishermen. So they were very successful. Um, but anyway, it was just a really cool experience of getting out of your comfort zone. So I want to challenge you guys this week think about something. It doesn't have to be outdoor related, but think about something that scares you, something that freaks you out, uh, something you thought you would never do and just kind of draw a line in the sand, kind of put it out there, say, Hey, I'm going to go do this. You know, whether it's, you know, texting your friend or whatever, just pick something intentionally, you know, that freaks you out. Obviously you want to do something safe or be with people who are experienced. If you're not experienced and I don't want you guys to get hurt, but Figure out something that freaks you out that you didn't think you'd ever try and just go try it. And then I want to hear about that. 
So um, let me know on Instagram at the Hunter's Quest, DM me or email me hunter at thisishuntersquest.com and let me know what you did to get out of your comfort zone. And on that note, I still want to hear from you guys about your quest. Again, this podcast is about you and your quest and um, how I can kind of help you along the way. But I want to hear about your epic journeys, um, your epic hunts, you know, um, quests in spiritual fitness, physical fitness, mental toughness, whatever it may be. Um, send me those stories with a couple pics and I want to feature those and I'll send you uh, a patch hat too. Um, if you do that. So, um, also, um, I want to give some shout outs to, I got some really awesome reviews this week. really appreciate you guys for leaving me ratings and reviews on Apple. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, I'm pretty much a one man show here. So the encouragement really means a lot. So, uh, if you're listening, uh, wa like W A Washington Mountain Man, Super Trooper ninety four, Darby Ramos, Huntress four, Curtis two thousand nine, and Nate from Missouri Woods and Water. If you guys uh DM me your shipping info or email me at hunter at this is huntersquest dot com. I will get you some decals in the mail. And again, I really appreciate those um, those reviews. Keep them coming, guys. It means a lot. And um, so anyway, um, if you're listening on Sunday, it is Father's Day. So I do want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, you know, being a being a dad is, is one of the most challenging and rewarding experiences in my life. And... Um, so yeah, happy Father's Day to all dads out there. I know my dad got me into hunting. So, you know, maybe you don't have the best relationship with your dad. Maybe you do. Either way, you know, give him a call today. Um, and uh, yeah, and just enjoy your day. And also, you know, our guest today, uh, one of the reasons I picked to air this one today is because um, my guest is a guy who I know prioritizes being a great dad, um, along with, you know, a good hunter and uh, staying fit physically, mentally, spiritually, all that stuff. So today I'm actually going to be talking to Mark Helsing from Exo Mountain Gear. Um, and he's also the host of the Hunt Backcountry podcast, which is an amazing podcast. It's a, just a wealth of knowledge and information about backpack hunting, about backcountry hunting. Um, and that is one of the resources that I relied on heavily when I was getting started and just learned a ton uh, from that podcast um, and I currently run a XO K K three forty eight hundred pack. Um, it's an amazing pack and frame system. Uh, super tough, lightweight, durable. Um, made in the USA. You know, lifetime warranty, all that good stuff. And the customer service is like just amazing. Like they 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 take good care of you no matter what you need. They hook you up. So. Um, definitely check out Exo Mountain Gear if you're in the market for a new pack. And no, I don't work for them, um, but I just I use their products. I love my pack, and um, they're good people. So check out Exo Mountain Gear. And the verse that I kind of came across in my spiritual fitness routine this week that I thought just kind of stood out and kind of went with today's episode is um, Psalm 18, 31 through 35. For who is God but the Lord? 
and who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. So I just thought this was cool. I mean, obviously you got the mention of the deer and setting your feet secure on the heights and training your hands for war so you can bend a bow of bronze. So it's really appropriate for hunters and it resonated with me, but um, also it just, it really seemed to fit Mark as a guest really well. Um, He's a, um, you know, really mild mannered, uh, soft spoken kind of guy, but very intelligent. And he's like, he's a big dude, like physically. Um, so he's, he's, he's like, he's kind of a gentle giant in a way. And, um, like I said, I know he's a great dad. He puts a lot of effort into being a great dad. So I thought this verse kind of fit him well and fit the episode well. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Again, please leave me a rating and review on Apple. Check out my YouTube channel and subscribe. I got some new videos coming out this week. And um, please also share with your friends and family. And I uh, hope you guys have a great week. And I hope you're getting your, your stuff dialed for the new season coming up. Um, if you're in the market for new gear, you know, check out the show notes to see all the discount codes and stuff I can give you um, with some great gear companies. And now we're just going to jump into the episode and I hope you guys enjoy. See you on the next one. So welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. I'm here, super excited today here with my guest, um, Mark Helsing. He is the host of the Hunt Backcountry podcast from XO Mountain Gear. I just learned so much from y'all's podcast, so I just thank you guys for what you do over there. It's awesome. Yeah, cool, man. It's been fun. It's We started the podcast in 2015, and it was really to kind of scratch our own itch in a way, and also Steve and I, it's like we were talk. We were having these conversations anyway, and yeah. in 2015 there weren't as many hunting podcasts, right? Um, by any means, and I didn't even I didn't know how to make a podcast. And Stephen, like, <laughs> we're having these cool conversations. We should record them. Um, and I was like, all right, let's figure it out and see what happens. So the the earliest episodes are uh, pretty terrible. <laughs> I just don't think we're great, <laughs> but like you know, you definitely get more comfortable and probably learn yeah. a few things after doing it for five plus years now so uh yeah it's been fun man it's been it's been a cool journey just to talk to the guests i mean even now it's i don't really i don't care what i have to say it's more about having conversations with other people and yeah continuing to learn it's been fun yeah totally i, I mean i'm only in the beginning of this journey but i've already like learned so much just from like you said just the conversations i've been having but um so like i said even though y'all's podcast isn't a sales pitch I did start looking into y'all's uh, packs and did some research, and I did end up actually going with uh, an XO pack. Um, got the you know K3 4800 for this trip, and um, and through that process, um, Mark, you probably deal with so many people on customer service you don't even remember, but like Mark himself actually helped me uh, through email and stuff get get my fit right and um, answered some questions, and so the customer service was just outstanding um and uh and the pack performed very well in alaska my buddy had a pack from another brand and he was kind of complaining about some of the stuff and i was like hmm, 
I like mine. <laughs> and some of the some of the features are really cool. Like I like the uh, kind of self enclosed um, water. I don't know what you guys call it. The like waterproof compartment yeah. where the where your um, water goes. Um, kept everything dry and just a couple of like the big huge stretchy pockets and just a couple other things that um, the pack performed really well. So um, cool. So yeah, man, it was uh, it was a great experience. Um, so I want to jump into a bunch of different things, kind of, but uh, first I just wanted to hear about how your 2020 season was, man. It was good. It, um, it was hunting. It had it had highs <laughs> and lows for oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, 2020 being the year of COVID, it was obviously some unknowns with some trips, and it, it put a damper on some ability to travel, obviously, mm-hmm. so um, didn't get out and necessarily do everything I wanted to do, but had a good time, and uh i did archery elk in colorado with a really good friend um that we've been hunting elk together archery uh and you know it's like people probably have misconceptions about maybe me or the industry or whatever but like i'm just a regular guy from the midwest still uh even though hunt the west a lot and work for a company based in the west and this friend that i archery elk hunt with is out from my neck of the woods and so we travel and just regular guys who get after it and we were we hunted a unit uh this archery season that we had some experience with and have killed elk in and we're really excited about and we kind of particularly had a new kind of a new spot in mind in the unit a new drainage and um super high hopes man like we had glassed into this country before and it looks great and we'd looked at maps and it looks great we never set foot into it and uh it's pretty tough to reach and so we're just like, oh man, this is gonna be like the coolest little honey hole ever, you know? And um, we did a ton of work getting into it and completely got our butts kicked and didn't see sign. <laughs> and I don't know for listeners and context, but Colorado uh, in 2020 had a, a very dry summer in mm-hmm. general. And uh, I kept hearing and talking with folks, and I'm like, man, it's dry out here, it's dry out here. But I didn't anticipate how dry it was. I mean, you could fart and start a fire. Um, it was just ridiculous. And so I think it, it definitely had effects on elk. And anyway, we, we did a ton of miles in a week. And as things go uh, with over-the-counter hunting, we we learned and we kept covering country and finding elk and found elk at the end of the trip and literally nice. just kind of ran out of time. So now we have this other new honey hole that's like, oh, we've never been in here and there was elk in here and it made sense as to why. And, you know, that's part of the fun to me is just piecing together the puzzle of yeah, man. you cover ground and you try and find animals. And then when you do find animals to not only just go, okay, great, here's an animal, but to really dissect that and understand it and go, okay, we've, we've covered literally dozens and dozens and dozens of miles like why are they here and what can i learn from that fact so anyway colorado was a, a learning experience in september um and then fortunately got some redemption on elk uh in idaho in october um and that was a rifle elk hunt uh but it, it what was fun about that is it it ended up being very much like a from a tactics uh and pursuit and encounter perspective i felt like i was bow hunting um i mean we were on bugling bulls in mid-october which obviously Mm. doesn't always happen um and ended up covering the distance uh spotted some elk from uh, hundreds of yards away close to almost a mile away and then i ended up shooting uh, the bull i shot within i didn't have time to range it it was probably 70 ish yards so that's cool um 
yeah and he was screaming so it was a it was a unique experience to be mid-october rifle in hand and essentially be bow hunting yeah, <laughs> uh, in terms awesome. of tactics and uh, was that an was otc a, tag or yeah it was uh you know idaho's different they um they have a lot of otc tags and then they have some areas where it's a quapped quota so they don't have points you know it's not like a draw it's just basically first come first serve but it does mm. sell out essentially so um yeah they have a different um format uh, in idaho than a lot of other states like wyoming where you truly draw and obviously arizona and a whole bunch of places like that so yeah he was uh, it was unique bull he was old and beat up and busted up and had broken tines and multiple like wounds and scars in his body oh, so cool. just from a, like a, a character perspective it was just like man what what stories did this bull have you know when yeah. i see it, it's funny when you think of um you know like sheep are one thing and obviously they get broomed off and stuff like that but just to like see the mass in a bull's antlers and to know that they're new every year so like whatever you know he lost essentially two tines completely um one front and one g2 and to think like he was fighting so hard that just this year he had like massive damage to his yeah. rack it's like god the to, to, to have witnessed that would have been cool yeah and man like it's crazy to me because like antler is extremely tough like i actually i've mm -hmm. shot a deer with buckshot one time and one of the pellets hit the thing in the antler it didn't even barely even dented it yeah and so you're talking about those things are hitting with enough force to break those things off. It's always crazy to me. But um, what'd you, what uh, what rifle did you shoot him with? Um, I have a Tika that I've kind of over the years have built um, and like upgraded a bit and made some changes to. Um, and it's your 30 out uh, six, right? Yeah, the 30 out six. So I shot him with that. Um, and yeah, it did great. I mean, like I said, it was 70 yards. So yeah. um, <laughs> definitely wasn't long range by any means. But yeah, I really dig that rifle, and uh, this season was rifle stuff. This season was my first season hunting with a suppressor, um, mm. and so I shot that. That was the first animal I shot while shooting suppressed, um, and then the next day, Steve, uh, he shot an elk, and he was suppressed as well, and so those were the first two experiences I had. I've been shooting with a suppressor all of last year, but it was my first hunt with it, and uh, so those were the first two experiences I had like witnessing animal reactions to a suppressed shot and it it was truly way different um yeah like that bull so. i shot had he had probably 12 cows with him and you know norm i'm just so used to shooting something and everything like fleeing right just like right. running and literally these cows like picked up their heads like huh what was that and then just went back to feeding wow. um and so I, I to them i don't know if it sounds more like a tree falls or something breaks like there are these natural sounds obviously um and it definitely just totally changed their reaction um and then even same thing on on the next day the bull that steve shot had some cows with it and they literally just they didn't move they just stood hmm. there um like nothing happened and so i think you know that's obviously um talking about the reaction of animals you're not targeting but i think even if like for example you were to miss right I think you'll have more opportunity for a follow-up shot um, yeah. just because the animal doesn't react the same way. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a kind of unique benefit. It was kind of fun to witness that firsthand. Was that a long process of getting the suppressor? Um, it's not nearly as complicated as 
it sounds like when you start to look at it. Um, it's super simple to do, it, but yes, it takes some time and it takes some money. So um, purchasing a suppressor, I just you know always recommend guys, if you're interested, find a local dealer, um, a class three dealer, and they will walk you through it and hold your hand. And it's super simple, but yeah, you essentially have to purchase the suppressor. Essentially you apply um, for ownership and then it takes uh, the government, you know, being super efficient as they are at most things. Yeah. Um, it it basically, like I had to wait six months. So okay. I purchased the suppressor, sent in my paperwork, and then six months later I get the call of like, yep, you're good to go, come pick it up and you can legally own it and all that. So um, once you That's do that, it's bad. essentially for the lifetime. So it is a, a little bit of a pain in the butt to have to wait, um, but having had it now it's like gosh i wish i just would have done that sooner right because once it's, it's over it. with it's over with yeah oh cool man cool um well yeah you did mention a little bit um how you're coming from the midwest and um so i'd love to hear just a little bit about your kind of evolution um you know into western hunting coming from the midwest and even where you started with hunting a little bit yeah yeah, so I mean, I'm in Missouri now, uh, born and raised here. Um, so obviously, hunted whitetail, small game, squirrels, that type of thing. Um, hunted essentially on and off, like through childhood. Like in uh, high school, I was just busy with sports and girls and stuff like that and didn't hunt yeah. as much. Um, and after high school, uh, when I really had my own time and money to be like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of over that phase of life. What I, what do I really want to do is when I wanted to get more into hunting um, than I had casually growing up. And growing up, all the hunting I did was with a shotgun or a rifle uh, and had never bow hunted. And so early 20s, basically decided to pick up a bow only to expand my season. Like our rifle season here in Missouri is essentially 10 days Um and then with archery, it's like, well, shoot, if I start hunting with a bow, I can hunt for six months for deer. Um, and so, well, not quite six, but many months. Um, yeah. And so I picked up a bow for that and didn't anticipate how much I would just love archery and bow hunting in general. And so I just like fell off the cliff and took a massive deep dive into archery and bow hunting and learning about all that. Um, and that was obviously for everything here in Missouri. And at the same time was like, man, I love backpacking. I love the mountains. I love the outdoors always have, but never put all of that together. Right. So yeah. I had backpacked and I'd hunted, but I've never been like, I can go on a backpack hunt. Um, and just kind of was like, man, I got to make that happen. So yeah, just, just set a goal to like, okay, I'm going to go on a archery elk hunt in the mountains and leave a trailhead with gear and food on my back for a week and see what I can do. Um, so you started with like super high level difficulty, just jumped right in there. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted some adventure. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, yeah, it was kind of funny when we, uh, even got to where we were going in Colorado, like even the road to get to the trailhead, it was like, Oh God, I'm going to be bit off more than I can chew. The year <laughs> I happened to go, they had early winter storms. And so even though it was mid September, um, yeah, there was snow and all kinds of storms going on. And uh, that year there were some massive floods and flash floods that had closed certain areas. And uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a, a wild start for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was cool. It um, The first season wasn't successful, but definitely learned a lot. Um, and then, 
knew enough of, I want to make that happen more and do that again. And so, uh, you know, at the time when I did that, kind of, it didn't really take convincing to my wife, like she was for it, but at the same time, young, pretty newly married, and then had a baby, my wife was like, so you want to leave for a week? You know, it (laughs) wasn't ideal time from that perspective, but um, I came back better for it just in, like, it just fed me, like, you know, as Mm -hmm. a man, it was like good for my soul type thing. And so I think my wife saw that and was like, oh, wow, like he really connects with that. And I think that's really good for him. Um, And so essentially, I've just, I've been hooked. I've just done it every year since and I've done it uh, more. And obviously now working for Exo Mountain Gear, uh, there's some, some, I don't hunt for a living by any means, but there's some marriage of work and hunting opportunity. So now it, it used to be in the, in the beginning, like one big trip a year. And now I usually get to take a few trips a year, which is, um, yeah, super cool. But yeah, I mean, going back to starting, it was super intimidating. Um, you know, it was before there were a bunch of hunting podcasts. It was before there was the University of Elk Hunting. It was before Born and Raised were on YouTube. Like there's so, so many more resources now than there were then um, that it, you know, I'm not like saying I walked uphill both ways. I just didn't have as access yeah. to as much good information. And so I honestly just made probably a lot more stupid mistakes because I didn't know any better and didn't have the knowledge of like someone showing me the ropes. It was truly, yeah. I didn't know anyone who was doing this type of thing. And I was just like, well, let's go and start and figure it out. That's awesome, man. So if you could go back and tell young Mark full of hope on that first trip, <laughs> tell him like one or two things. What would you go back and tell him? Uh, yeah, it'd be hard to pick one or two. The, there's so much. The one thing that I come back to, the, there's two main things I would say. Number one is uh, be more aggressive. And I say that simply because growing up hunting whitetail, they're so skittish, right? Like you can't get away with much of anything in terms yeah. of movement and you're just not even as a whitetail hunter you're not even used to having to be aggressive right like most guys are planning themselves whether it's in a tree stand or ground blind or saddle sub like you are where you are and you're waiting in ambush style for a deer whereas for elk you don't have as much of that um and so you have to learn how to be aggressive to cover ground to move towards a bull that's bugling in most cases and not just sit back on your heels and call him and expect him to come to you Mm -hmm. um and then also be more aggressive in terms of even trying to create opportunities, right? So, um, yeah, just get rid of your whitetail mindset. Be more aggressive is the one thing that comes to mind. And then number two is, like, have a plan and another plan and a third plan and a fourth plan. Um, just because you don't know what you're getting into when you're you're coming from out of state. You can look at maps all day, but you don't know what that country's like. You don't know For what sure. hunting pressure is going to be. You don't know what crazy storm's going to come up. And so just from a logistical perspective of have a plan A, but have at least a plan B, C, and D, like legitimately have at least four plans of, okay, if this doesn't work, let's go here. Or if we spend three days here, we don't see a thing, this is where we're going. And not like a rough idea of where we're going, but like a very specific, like we're parking here, we're hiking into here. We know how to get from here to there without cell service, like legit, like every step of the way have a plan. And, you know, 
I say have that many plans, not because you have to follow a script, but just because you need options for when your your script doesn't work out, right? So for sure, uh, those are the two main things that come to mind. Yeah, those are good, man. Because <laughs> yeah, it's always a different story when you get boots on the ground. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, man, just from like listening to you and um, um, you know different podcasts you've done about nutrition and like health and fitness and stuff and hunting, like you seem like um, a really intentional guy like you know intentional about your life and your health and your fitness and um and disciplined and like that's something that i lacked for a long time and kind of um learned and grew in uh through mm-hmm. like my desire to want to get into this type of hunting have you always been like that or did you was there no. an evolution there <laughs> <laughs> no it was probably you know was what you just said like for me the um it's all come together, right? Like it's all grown as one. My evolution as a hunter and how disciplined I am from a physical perspective and nutrition and all that has has grown together. And I think, again, that's like another reason where I say it's good for me. Like it's it's good for me just in general, even if it wasn't hunting, but to have like something to work towards, right? So it's like, yeah. okay, like it, let's say it is hunting. I know in September I'm going on an archery elk hunt, like I got to stay in shape, get in shape, you know, be working towards that, have some discipline and all that. Um, and that's not just fitness and nutrition. That's obviously comes down to planning, making the best use of time, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, but it's very much um, grown together. I um, I was probably, what was I, 45-ish pounds heavier before I started this than I am mm-hmm. now. Um like when I got married, uh, and then my, when we, it wasn't too long after my wife got pregnant. And then, you know, when it was 10 PM and my pregnant wife wanted some ice cream, I was like, that is a fantastic idea. Let's do that. Oh, you yeah. know? So yeah. I gained probably as much, uh, <laughs> weight as she did, but then she had the, the good fortune of having a baby. And then I was just left over like, wait a second, I'm just fat, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it all came there. together. Yeah. So, yeah, I think for me, the um, kind of the lifestyle has it's required discipline of me in a good way, you know, and it's kind of kept me on track. Um, And once I once I got momentum in that direction, I I think I'd have that. It's like you take away hunting now. I'd still have that. um, Right. Have that lifestyle. Uh, Yeah, it's just it when it's almost hard to imagine when you're not in it, but when you build some momentum and have some consistency, um, it's hard to break it. I mean, just as in, in a way, it's hard to break a bad habit. Once you have a good habit, it's hard to break that. So yeah. I'm not like the model of uh, physical or nutritional uh, perfection by any means. But um, yeah, it's like this weekend's a good example. I was super busy this weekend doing this massive house project and I didn't quote unquote work out Saturday or Sunday, even though I was doing a ton of hours working outside and it just felt weird to me to have two days off. Um, cause that almost never happens. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, I totally get that. It's like you, and like you said, it's, it's hard to kind of get there in your mind when you're kind of stuck in a rut or some bad habits and stuff. But it's like when you have that discipline and consistency over time, it's like you establish a new baseline. And then Mm -hmm. from there, it's like, like you said, you feel weird if you don't kind of hit that for the day. Yeah. Yeah. It just becomes your new, your new normal. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, <clears throat> so, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit before, you know, the podcast, um, and I found out you're a believer. So I did want to find out like what, um, cause you know, I think we as men and as, you know, humans, we're triune beings, you know, we are body, soul, and spirit, and you have to mm -hmm. feed all of them in order to be, you know, performing optimally. Right. Um, mm -hmm. you know, in, in my experience, I can be in the best physical shape possible, but if I'm ignoring my spiritual growth and my, you know, mental growth, like I'm going to be out of whack. So like what, and what role does your faith play into your, into your discipline, your day-to-day -day life, that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a high, yeah. Like deep and important question. Uh, my mind goes all kinds of places. Um, going back to what we said earlier, you know, I think that way of discipline of like fitness and nutrition, all that, like it applied to hunting. And then even my journey in hunting and I said how it was all tied together. So if you take who I am now versus who I was, call it 10 years ago, like I'm a different person and part of that's because of hunting and part of that is because of uh, physical things and nutrition. Part of that's time management, that whole category of discipline as a whole. Um, part of that is is my faith and then part of that is really just my change in life being, being a father um, as well. So growth as you said like it happens in all those ways like there's a lot of interconnection between body soul spirit and all that and so it's almost hard for me to like pull those apart and say you can have one without the other i think growth true growth happens like you said when all that comes together and is nurtured um and that, to me there's like ebbs and flows to that so there's times where um, I'm doing much better spiritually in terms of spiritual discipline than physical discipline and vice versa. But I begin to notice when any of those are like out of whack or imbalanced, right? And I think that's one thing um, that can be super easy is just guys or men in particular are really good about taking deep dives or like giving themselves to something. But I think it's really easy to get in places of imbalance. And so you can look at that in a whole bunch of ways, like the guy who's incredibly successful professionally, but his kids hate him because yeah. he's given his life to work and to making money and not to his family. Um, and you can say the same thing of a guy who's like at the highest, highest level of physicality or domination in a sport or something like that. But he has no substance of character or spirituality or anything like that. And so I just think that's a, a danger that I'm trying to be aware of is not to chase like super high level anything other than being like really well balanced and well rounded. I don't that mean that just from a skills perspective, but just in terms of life. Um, I can't totally. prioritize hunting more than family. I can't pri prioritize work more than hunting. Like you just can't neglect something and expect to have good results or expect to have growth. And so for me, it's just this journey of like constantly managing the tension of that because there is a lot of tension in that. I, I don't get to spend as much time preparing for hunting in the summer 
that I used to because now working in the hunting industry, that's like our busiest time of year is helping other people prepare yeah. for their hunts, right? And so <laughs> there's like tension there and there's all kinds of ways that I feel that tension. And I, I think if I would have went back even like five years ago, um, I was probably trying to find a way to eliminate that tension because especially in this culture, like we're so used to comfort um, that we want to get rid of discomfort. And I would say the same thing about tension. I used to want to get rid of like, I feel this tension. I feel torn in all these different places. And I used to want to get rid of that. And now I just realize that that's probably a really healthy place to be is to feel that tension of being pulled here and pulled there and having to manage that. I think that's just part of life or at least my stage of life is is feeling that tension between you know family and work and my own personal pursuits of hunting and all those different things and like embracing that and um, if you think about tension as a whole it creates strength right if Mm -hmm. something doesn't have tension it's not going to withstand outside pressure or outside forces it doesn't have strength Um, so yeah, that was super freaking rambling. I don't even know if I answered no, the question, but yeah, it was no, like kind of stream of thought. That was great, man. I mean, you hit it. I think um, balance, like you said, is so important. Um, and like what you said about, you're kind of <clears throat> echoing what I was saying a little bit in that it's hard to pull apart mind, body, and spirit. I think in the yeah. Western society, there's like some people have a tendency to want to compartmentalize so much, like my physical health is different from my mental health and that's different from, but like I said, we're triune beings and a lot of people struggle Mm -hmm. with the concept of like the Christian concept of the Trinity. But in my mind, like the best way to visualize it is like us, we are like little trinities in that we're mind, body and spirit in one being. And you have to have balance. Like the other day, you know, my wife was getting on to me because, you know, I have a full-time job. I'm working on this kind of like side project. I'm working on a book, you know, I'm training, trying to get, you know, stay in shape. And, and I was falling a little out of balance and, you know, like some other areas. And so she kind of had to rein me in a little bit. And that's, that's so important, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wives are good for that. <laughs> <laughs> they will, they're a crucible. They will, they will help yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and it can be super hard sometimes to hear those, those truths, you know, you can get yeah. defensive, but then you got to step back and be like, all right, she's actually she's right. right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Then <laughs> they're done is, that. Yeah. It's super easy for me to get a little obsessive in one direction, you know, Mm-hmm. for sure. Um, you said earlier, like, and that your wife even recognized it about how, um, being in the mountains and hunting, you know, for somebody who's an outsider to this conversation and to hunting, like they're probably like, what are these guys talking about? Like, why are they so obsessed with hunting? Like what, like what, but like I've spent a lot of time lately thinking about it and I think I, I think I know what it is, but why do you think that, that this pursuit like feeds us so much? Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, super big question with a lot of thoughts. I think, uh, I could, on one level take hunting out of the equation and just say that it's time spent disconnected in nature right so let's say i'm not hunting but i'm going to live in the mountains for a week um that's still going to benefit me it's going to benefit my mind my soul right like i'm gonna um be removed from distractions and have time to think and really time to process and that that specifically doesn't have anything to do with hunting Um, You could say the same thing about just 
being in the mountains um, and dealing with adversity, right? So you're dealing with weather and you're dealing with challenge, uh, physical and logistical and every little thing um, that we take for granted in the day-to-day life becomes something you have to either think about or put effort towards, right? So I can't walk over to the sink and fill my Nalgene up with water. I have to go find a water source and filter it and Mm -hmm. then manage that and go, am I going to be able to find more water in eight hours from now? And should I drink all this water now? Am I going to have enough for later versus (laughs) walking to the tap? So again, nothing to do with hunting, but I think part of the lifestyle that's like really good. Um, So yeah, to me, like there's the disconnect from day-to-day life, um, the elimination of distractions, the reminder that things in all reality shouldn't probably be as easy as they are in our Western like comfort context. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the challenge of that. Like those are all really good things. And I haven't even talked about hunting yet. Right. Um, when it comes to hunting in particular, I, I don't know how to put words to it and people can disagree all they want, but I would just say, I think it's part of, of the way that we're wired um, and created. I think, uh, you know, you go back not too long ago in our history and we all were hunters, not by pleasure, not by pursuit, not by hobby, not by uh, any of that, but just that is part of life. Like that's what sustained life is to to take another life and to uh, fuel off of that and have that be um, part of you. So, you know, people can disagree all they want and I'm not interested in fighting about it. I just think it's a fact. Like we're just wired, um, as hunters in many ways. And yes, I fully get agriculture and all that. I'm not saying we're strictly carnivores, but, um, I just don't think you can remove that from humanity and from history. And honestly, from what I believe is the way that we're created. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and I guess when I said hunting, I meant, you know, more holistically, the entire experience, kind of like, like you said, like, not more than just like the actual killing aspect of it, but um, the fact of in order to make that kill, you got to spend a week in the mountains and all that entails, right. you yep. know? And um, yeah, I mean, to me, I come back to things like you take, um, again, I'm, I'm not saying this is only to men. I just, that's where my head's at as a man. Um, of course. Guys are seeking all kinds of different ways to challenge themselves to test themselves to create bonds of brotherhood and adversity um to have some level of like domination and dominion like whatever that looks like some for some guys that's on the golf course Um, for some guys that's professionally you have people paying hundreds of dollars to go do like a go ruck or a tough mutter or something like that um and i've done all that stuff and it's like that's just proof to me that like this this sanitized like desk job environment you see all types of ways where people are trying to get away from that and experience like true life right get outside test yourself do something physical create some sort of challenge get uncomfortable um that's just that's part of what we should be doing um and if you were to go back probably even 50 years ago and tell some guy, 
I'm going to go pay $150 to run in the mud and climb a wall for, you know, whatever. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? That's the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. But that's because they lived life in a much different way, right? right. Like they already they were doing that already. Were, yeah, they already <laughs> were outside, like getting sweaty and muddy and doing hard things. And they're like, I'm not going to go pay to do that. I want to get paid to do that. <laughs> yeah. So that whole like that script has been flipped. And so I just think if you step back and look objectively, you see guys striving for that and um, hunting is part of the way that I do that. Absolutely, man. You hit it there. It's like, and I agree with you. I think that we were created to live like that. Um, and, and we forget that, like you said, in our sanitized, you know, climate controlled environments where most Americans are paid to sit on, you know, sit for eight hours a day. Um, and to me, I think what it really comes down to, and you basically said it is like, you know, this, this principle of like stacking, like, um, stacking multiple things that are beneficial in one and hunting mm -hmm. to me is like the, to me, it's the ultimate like stacking. It's like time outside exercise, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, camaraderie, um, even like UV light exposure into your eyes, um, mentally challenging, um, spiritually challenging adversity, physically challenging. It's like, Everything that people try to do, like in the gym or in a tough mutter or whatever, it's like all combined in one. And then, like, mm -hmm. like you said, coming into some, into touch with something that's so natural and like so many, like a lot of people don't get to experience anymore. It's just uh, the whole experience is just like I, I realize like that's what it is. It's just like we were made for this. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. Like you said, it's stacking and it's. Uh, it's all encompassing in a unique way because, you know, what I talked about earlier, if, if you take hunting out, I could go up in the mountains for a week and I could do something physical and I could source my own water and deal with that sort of challenge. But you, I would still be missing that component of being very analytical and logical yeah. and now trying to like find an animal and stalk into that animal. Yeah. So like if I was only backpacking, I'd be missing part of it. Yeah. If I went and did a go rec challenge, I'd be missing part of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, you just said a perfect hunting is so unique and that encompasses all of these different attributes that I don't know. I, I haven't found it elsewhere. And I'm sure for some people they feel satisfied, like say mountaineering, right? Like maybe they get right. the physical and the spiritual and the mental focus and all that. And in those ways, and that's, that's awesome. Um, however guys can find it and get as much of it as possible. It doesn't have to be hunting, but I do think hunting is very unique in the opportunity it creates to be so all encompassing. Yeah, absolutely. Like this style going back to that triune person thing, like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, challenging and nurturing to every part of your person, you know, mentally, yeah. spiritually, and physically. It's my wife that. still doesn't understand it. Like she's like, <laughs> I get that you enjoy this and that it benefits you. But I, she's like, I just don't understand it. Like you, you go, you know, do something very difficult and challenging and hard and not comfortable. And she's not like a princess by any means, but she just, yeah. she doesn't fully get it. She's like, it sounds kind of terrible. And I'm like, yeah. well, sometimes, sometimes it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, and you know, going back to, like I said, I'm not, I'm not saying women can't hunt or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. Like they do and they can, but going back, like you said, kind of how like to, we were, we were created. I mean, back in the you know back in the day men were the hunters that's mm -hmm. and that's the way it was yeah
Um, and not saying we're, we're going to get canceled now. We're going to yeah. get canceled. <laughs> I'm just saying it's history folks. Um, can you think of like, I don't know. What's one thing you can think of that like you have learned about yourself or maybe about God from time outdoors? Mm, yeah, man, a lot. Um, doesn't have to be just one, but yeah, I mean the the God stuff is part of it's just reinforcing to me on. Um, I think it, it. I personally feel like it would take much more faith to be an atheist that believes all this happened by chance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if. If you remove religion or Christianity or anything else and you're not trying to put like dogma or doctrine on anything, but if you've truly experienced the world and nature and wildness and things like that, I just don't I don't see where you come up with chance and I don't see how you can not see the fingerprints of some sort of creator. And again, I'm call it what you want, right? Um, I think of even like Native American things, right? Like they they weren't necessarily religious, but they were like the earth and all that. Like you can get all hippie and stuff. Maybe that's <laughs> where you go. I just don't see the chance. I don't see the um, the bang, right? Um, I mean, I've, I've seen so much outdoors and both at like a super big like macro level, um, being under the the northern lights and the arctic and alaska is like a truly transformational experience um mm-hmm. that's like a very high level thing but then you just get down to like very nitty gritty detailed level stuff of like man there's just like you you can pick any almost any single organism or feature and like man the fact that this one thing happened by chance much less yeah. all of this happened i just yeah, anyway like a jellyfish like the simplest thing there is is like immensely yes. complex <laughs> yes yeah and so to me that's it's always um i just I, I see the fingerprints of of a creator um in that in creation um and it obviously as a christian it speaks to me in a specific way about that like um, it leads me to think of scripture and connect um, with that in a, in a unique way when that's my context. Um, yeah, so that's one thing. The other thing for me is just, um, you know, like I said before, it's, it's a disconnect for me. So when I'm able to step away from day-to-day life and distractions and phone calls and alerts and emails and all that stuff, and do that for more than like 48 hours because to be honest with you usually the roughly the first 48 hours or so like i'm like an addict coming on like i'm (laughs) detoxing you know like i gotta like settle a few days into this new way of life but once i do that and i get disconnected then i'm just on a very practical level i'm much more clear-headed on my own to think but it's much easier for me to tune into um what I believe God might be speaking to me, right? So um, kind of like the, the old adage of if you, if you hear 
the idea that God wants to speak to you and whatever that means to you, is that audible or not? Is an impression, you know, in your spirit, what have you? That's not what I'm talking about. But like, let's say, for example, that God wanted to connect with you. Um, If he was broadcasting that, right, but you weren't turning into it, you'd never experience it. But if you choose to like tune into it or be open to it, then I think you're going to be able to experience it. And so for me, the extended hunts and all that are, are part of the ways that I just feel more open to that and can connect to that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and personally, man, it's, it's like super learning about myself is, um, I, I still, um, you know, everybody still has doubts and questions and all that, but I would say as you begin to, pick up experiences and work through moments of hardship, you can then carry that forward, right? So in that hardship and the experience, maybe the confidence you gain by going through something difficult can give you confidence in the future, but in a much very different context. Um, So Mm -hmm. doing things like whether it's very difficult hunts or we've done these events called like the death hike that are very difficult and challenging, going through things like that have given me confidence in other areas where I'm like, no, you can do that. Like you've pushed through harder things. You've dealt with difficulty before. And so, um, it just, it confidence is one of those tricky things. You don't want to be overconfident. You don't want to be cocky. You don't have like false confidence, but if you can build some confidence that's based on something like I have done something before, um, I have worked through difficulty before. It can be a true, like, healthy confidence to help you move forward through difficulty in the future. So that's, yeah, that's another thing I guess I've learned about myself is just developing um, not just more confidence in general, but just even getting used to, like, the old adage of get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? And so whether yeah. that's physical, whether that's in a relationship, what have you, like, you just, you enter into those situations where you're kind of even going back to what I said earlier about tension, like whether it's tension, discomfort, or have you, you get, as you get more used to that, you can embrace it, um, in the future. Um, yeah, yeah. I totally rambly again. <laughs> no, nah, man, no, it's great stuff, dude. <clears throat> and <clears throat> there's reminded me so much of, I've like mentioned this verse so many times on this podcast, but it just works so well in so many applications. Um, I think it's Romans five, three. It's like, we rejoice in suffering because suffering produces character and character produces confidence. Mm, yeah i just i just love that yeah and it's to me it's always funny too like going back to balance i always bring back the fact of i still like suffering if it's true suffering still is suffering like it's not enjoyable in the moment and i'm not like saying that i always choose the hard thing or i never chase comfort but yes like if, if you live a very comfortable life you have to enter into some level of discomfort and challenge and growth. And um, I think that's what it comes down to is you just you just don't grow by staying where you are and by staying who you are. And so you can either be forced to grow because something outside of you challenges you and you have to deal with that. Um, or you can also choose to grow by willingly enter into things that challenge you and cause you to grow. Um, so the whether it's something you choose or whether it's something that's forced upon you, like that, that discomfort and getting out of your comfort zone can produce growth. Like that verse said, like suffering in the end 
use it. Let it lead to something positive and not just be wasted and don't just try to avoid it, but kind of almost embrace the suck, work through it and bring the best out of it. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's so good. Oh man, good stuff. Well, um, I'm glad we touched on that stuff and it's really enjoyable just kind of hearing you. Usually I hear you talking to other people, but it's cool. Like hearing your perspective on stuff, man. So I'm enjoying this. Thanks. Um, so on maybe a lighter side, I did want to hit, um, a little (laughs) bit. Um, um, so I'm going to do Kodiak this year with my, Oh yeah. Yeah. I know you've done that. Um, we're doing it a little bit different style. We're going late August. We're flying into the Alpine. They're going to land us on a lake and we're doing a drop camp for like six days, Mm -hmm. but I've never been to Kodiak. So I don't know, tips, uh, gear tips, anything, or just thoughts on Kodiak. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've done it just the one time, uh, it was a much different time of year. It was November. Um, so weather's going to be a bit different. Um, in general, man, you're absolutely going to love it. Like I, yeah, I can't wait to get back up there and thankfully I am going back up there this year. Um, oh, you are when? To, uh, in November again. Okay. Yeah. Nice dude. Yeah. So yeah, dude, it's a, it's a fun, special place. Um, you know, doing a drop camp, you guys will have a good time. Obviously things like a bear fence <laughs> come to mind being a drop yeah. camp. We didn't have to deal with that just for uh listener's context. We, uh, we stayed at a small place. Um, it, he calls it a lodge like lodge sounds super fancy <laughs> it was not that fancy by any means but basically essentially we had a place to stay every night and uh, dry out every night and get a warm meal every night which was a a welcome change because most of the hunts i've done have been backpack hunts um yeah and then we were dropped off by boat every morning and hunted for the day and picked up by boat that night and went back to the place so um, are you doing that that's again for I'm, this trip we are yeah we're doing the okay. same place um yeah i really do want to do a fly-in hunt i mean it's from what um you know you get in a relatively decent spot it, you guys are going to have not have a problem finding deer for the most part it's so so different than um many other places where the deer are genuinely in many cases pretty curious like we definitely had deer spook from us at distances where i think they were unclear as to like what we were and like to them they see something but they don't know what like oh you know 800 yards is that a bear what is that i see movement and they're they don't want anything to do with it but at the same time we had deer who were uh in closer ranges and they're almost curious like Hmm. literally had deer side hilling behind us as we were sitting one morning taking a break and it saw us and came down to check us out and walked within like seven or eight yards. Um, (laughs) So weird. Um, So yeah, man, it's a cool place doing a drop camp. Obviously the, the big limitation you guys will have is just how much weight can you bring, um, you know, and get in with that. But are you guys both rifle hunting or bow or both? Yeah. Me and my buddy are both rifle hunting. Um, We're waiting to hear back from one guy who might come with a bow, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in general, um, you can get up to three deer tags up there and Mm -hmm. just depends essentially on probably how picky you want to be on most years in a decent spot. You guys have six days to hunt. You can really feel fill three tags if you wanted to. Uh, If you think between the three of you, that's a deer a day. That's honestly very doable. There was days um, there was three of us hunting when I went prior and there was days where we all three killed a deer. So it's kind of up to you in terms of 
you know, are we going to hunt together? And if we get a deer down or are we going to share that load and pack it out? Or we're going to get a deer down and a guy can pack that out by himself, uh, which is totally doable. And that's what we did most of the time. And then the other guy can also hunt. So yeah, dude, you'll be able to fill tags. It's a unique thing to me, um, especially for guys who are maybe a bit newer to Western hunting um, or that style of hunting. It's a very good opportunity to go and just kind of get reps in, right? So um, whether it's living on your own out of a tent, whether it's filling tags and breaking down game in the field and you've never done that because you're always in access to a four-wheeler or what have you, um, if it's stalking in on deer and more open country and you've never had that opportunity because you hunt out of a tree stand, like it's a, it's a unique opportunity and what it can present you. Um, and that trip can be done on a, a pretty doable budget for sure. I mean, I think a lot yeah. of guys would hear Alaska and think, oh, I need $10,000 and it's, it's not even remotely close to that. So yeah. it's something you can grab a buddy or a few buddies and do for probably, you know, a few grand ish a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, I think our commercial is like 800 bucks up there. Mm-hmm. And I think the bush flight for this is only like 1500 bucks, which is not nothing, but I mean, yeah. If you're going to do a caribou drop camp, you're going closer to the three grand range. So mm-hmm. it's it's definitely, it's approachable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you had other specific questions on that or, I mean, happy to chat through it. Yeah, not really, man. I just wanted to see what your impressions were of Kodiak and um, yeah. if you had any, the deer, anything. The deer, I will say, uh, they are on one hand very visible and then on the other hand can disappear like nothing else um and so it's one of those things where if you see a deer um and you're interested in taking that like try to act relatively quick and don't be rushed obviously and all that but there was plenty of times where we would like glass up a deer through binos and then take our binos down and then go to okay now i'm gonna get my rifle out and get behind my rifle and it was like either the deer disappeared or now I can't find them. Um, and so just general like kind of tactic advice that comes to mind is if you guys sit down to glass and you're within somewhat of a shooting range where you think you might have a shot opportunity, um, essentially go ahead and be ready to shoot. So like if you sit down to glass, get your rifle out, throw it on the bipod or what have you, and be ready to like quickly transition from finding a deer to getting uh, in position to shoot. Um, that's one little thing that bit us a few times. It was like, we'd sit down to glass, but the rifles were on the packs or something like that. And it's like, okay, the buck's there. Um, by the time you get moving and get a shot opportunity and, you know, get set up and all that, like the deer's gone. So almost like anytime you sit down to glass, if you're in country, that's remotely within distance of a shot opportunity before you even start glassing, almost be ready to like be in a good shooting position or at least quickly get into a good shooting position. Yeah, that's a good tip, man. Yeah, I feel like even with like whitetail, it's like sometimes it's like a cartoon. Like you see one go behind a tree, and then it just dis- it just doesn't come out the other yeah. side of the tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, um, last thing I want to talk about real quick. So we we share a lot of things in common. We found out we both are drummers, mm-hmm. um, but also both of us are going from a thirty out six to a six point five Creedmoor. yeah so what's so i you know i didn't i was very hesitant at first um 
because you know i like power i like the yeah. 30 caliber i'm like let's just have max power my buddy i went to alaska with he did we did our caribou hunt he took a 243 and oh, he's wow. like if you're doing this with you know he's shooting copper monos and yep. you know he's got he's from navy special warfare so the dude knows guns like mm -hmm. um and he pretty much talked me into 6.5 creedmoor and um i've shot one white cell with it so far and it was i mean you know totally deadly and it's just more enjoyable to shoot like just mm -hmm. from a recoil standpoint um and I, I really liked it so far and the rifle is 30 percent lighter like my rifle i went to alaska with last year was like over 10 pounds mm -hmm. i just got a new one this year and scoped bipod and everything it's like six or a little under six mm -hmm. um so i don't know what's that transition like been for you yeah yeah, for me, it wasn't like ditching the old six and then getting a six five Creedmoor. <laughs> it was thankfully uh, the luxury of being able to get another rifle and then choosing what that was. And part of there was two main reasons I was well, not even two. There's a whole bunch of reasons I was looking at Creedmoor, but I was really looking on this rifle to get something as light as possible. And yep. because I wanted it as light as possible, I wanted it to be shootable and not in some sort of you know super heavy hitting cartridge. At the same time, you know, as my kids are getting older, I wanted it to be something they could shoot, right? So I didn't want to uh, get some sort of magnum or, or big thumper for that. And then just in particular, I knew that this rifle for me was going to be for like deer-sized game uh, in, in general. So that could be, you know, the blacktail um, on Kodiak. It could be mule deer. It could be antelope. It could be whitetails, what have you. Um, I still have the 30 out six, you know, if I need it, I think it'd be awesome for like a moose, um, hunt or something like that. So I still have the, uh, the opportunity to have that. The Creedmoor is funny to me because it, uh, it, it like went from zero to 100 pretty quick in terms of popularity. And then yeah. like most things do when it becomes very popular. Now it's like, uh, I wrote an article about it and I basically said it used to be fun to have one. Now it's fun to like hate on one. Right. Like yeah. now it's the brunt of all the jokes. It's like, Oh, well, man has one, memes. So of course. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I still think, um, you know, another thing it has going for it and it's more apparent now than ever is obviously the time we're doing this, there's like ammunition and component shortages. Yep. Um, and it's hard to say it's an on the shelf cartridge cause nothing is right now. Uh, that said, it's going to be very accessible anytime something is accessible in general. Yep. Um, you know, things like the 6.5 PRC have gotten to be the cool 6.5 in the last few years over the Creedmoor. Um, but even whether you're looking for factory ammunition or reloading, even guys who are reloading can't find 6.5 PRC brass or dyes or things like that. And the Creedmoor stuff's still a bit more available. So, um, yeah, yeah it, to me, it's one of those things where I think the marketing engine behind the Creedmoor was pretty good. And then people took that to like an uninformed extreme and thought, oh yeah, the 6.5 Creedmoor can do anything. It's a thousand yard gun on elk or something stupid like that, which it clearly isn't. But I think it's a, a very good cartridge when you have correct intentions with it and understand yeah. its limitations. Super easy to shoot. I mean, that's the other reason is for this one, I wanted to be able to shoot it a ton and um you know go out and bang steel with it at 800 and shoot 50 rounds that day and not feel it the next day um yeah i'm in general i think it gets overlooked how important it is that a rifle be manageable and even if you're not re quote unquote like recoil sensitive to like having a flinch um 
even aside from that, I'm a generally a fan of shooting like the smallest-ish thing that will get the job done effectively mm-hmm. because there's so many other benefits to m- managing recoil, not in the sense of feeling it, but in like staying on the scope. So to be able to see your impacts Absolutely. and spot your shots and be ready for follow-up and things like that. Um, and I like a 30-06 recoil doesn't bug me, but I can tell you for a fact that I can see much more of what's happening under recoil with a Creedmoor versus yep. a 30-06, for example. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of the, the cartridge debates are almost silly um, yeah. just because you, it's like you just lose context. Um, like, is 30-06 better than a 6.5 Creedmoor is such a dumb question. And that's a dumb question about any two cartridges because it's like, well, is it better for what? What are you doing with right. it? Where are you going? How heavy is your rifle? Who's shooting it? How much are you shooting it? Like, there's so many variables to all those things. Absolutely. And yeah, at I the mean, end of the day, like, we're the only reason we can have stupid arguments like this is because we're spoiled to have so many good options. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm the same way. I wanted something as light as possible um, for a deer size game. Like I said, I still got my 30 out six. So I need to go out yeah. if I need a 30 cal. Um, and like you said, so I went with the Weatherby. And, um, you know, their, their cartridge options are fairly limited. A lot of their stuff is the proprietary Weatherby The Weatherby ammo. cartridges, yeah. Right. And, and that was huge for me was ammo availability. Like, I don't want to have to special order, you know, if I mm-hmm. get somewhere and for some reason I got to go to Walmart and get some ammo. Yep. Like, like you said, it's, yeah. it's at least under normal circumstances, right. it's typically going to be there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, man. Um. Well, cool. Oh, that's great. It's a. It'll be. It'll be a fun. Uh, a fun gun for Kodiak. Um, you'll get even on that. Like you'll get pushback of guys saying, "Well, you should carry, you know, a thirty out six to Kodiak, not because the blacktail, but just for bear defense." And so it's like, well, are you, right. do you are you carrying some other means of bear defense, whether that's a pistol or bear yeah. spray or what have you? And you know, I got a Glock like twenty a for argument. that. There you go. You're set, man. <laughs> do you, do the you, what's your bear? What's your bear side on? Um, I have a 10 mil. Uh, oh, he's showing me the gun on camera. I like that. <laughs> it was sitting that right was behind slick, me, dude. so I, I had yeah. to. I see the I Spartan the bipod adapter. Oh, yeah, man. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, I went with the tall. I had to go with the tall one. Yeah. But uh, that'll be good, too, for uh, Kodiak, just because like, it can be brushy. Um, and so sometimes just getting over that is really helpful. Uh, that's the other thing that comes to mind now that we're talking about shooting in Kodiak is just being able to uh effectively sh- um sit or kneel and shoot from that position right so having like that mid-length support yeah. obviously you can shoot off your pack and stand that up um we use those wiser precision quick sticks which are like little adapters yeah. for your trekking poles that keep them as shooting six those are i shot i think i shot every deer in kodiak off of those um so that's another okay. little thing that's helpful yeah that's awesome for my sitting shots, I'm I'm using this uh, oh, there you go. two vet sporting goods, uh, no name junior. It's like two pounds, super light, awesome yeah. little tripod. So I'm just gonna take that. That is slick. Yeah, man. So, um, yeah, man. Well, this has been a really awesome conversation. Like I feel like I talked to you all day, but um, I don't want to waste your time. And um, oh, one more thing we have in common though. Your yeah. load. You shoot hammer bullets and varget yes. powder. Forty point yes. five grains. Uh, I'm at forty point two. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, cool. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm shooting the same load, hammer bullets, 124 grain, but I'm using 40.5 grains of Varget. Nice, man. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I always tell somebody with those uh, for a Creed more like start at 38, 30 and a half, just build a ladder, and you'll end up somewhere around 40. I think I talked with Steve about that. Um, I think he's seen guys go as high as like between 41 and 42, but. I think that's pushing it for a lot yeah. of cartridges, but yeah, I mean, every, you know, I think part of the reason, um, shooting suppressed can, can create a little bit more back pressure. And so sometimes I'll see a little bit pressure earlier than non-suppressed, but at the same time, I'm also getting the speed out of it. So that's one thing I've been impressed by is a lot of guys hear Creedmoor and they think you're, you know, shooting at like 26, 2700 or what have you. Yeah. Um, and my Creedmoor is only a 20 inch barrel. Um, pretty short barrel but with those hammers and obviously they're a bit lighter but everything i've shot hammers with um they've always just been faster in general not even just the lighter options but i'm yeah. shooting those at 2900 so it's like little tiny 20 inch barrel 2900 feet a second like that's a yeah. that's solid medicine not to 500 600 yards on deer yeah and that terminal the terminal performance of those copper monos just i mean the wound channels huge and you don't get lead particles all over your meat and like i said my buddy that i went to alaska with last year ned he's been on the podcast he's been um, doing load development with me and um so he's helped me with all that stuff but um what you guys have the death death hike coming up is that right yeah it's in four or five weeks from now um early april i think it's the second weekend in april um we're essentially trying to get redemption on last year. We had planned a snowshoe death hike, which was the first time we've ever looked doing snowshoes. And then all those plans got destroyed, like everything else almost because of COVID. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at doing that. And initially we, the plan was to like shuttle groups, um, drop them off at a location that's unknown to them and then just kick them out and tell them, okay, here's your rendezvous point, point here's your endpoint. get there. Uh, in two or three days and we're essentially doing the same thing now but <laughs> now it looks like we're flying in and dropping oh. people off at an airstrip in the frank church wilderness and actually have a few different airstrips so uh yeah different groups will have a different route and different experience and then all like an end rendezvous points and uh it just kind of ups the ante a little bit where it's like either hike out or i guess call for help and get flown back out <laughs> or something um <laughs> Oh, which is you know uh is good as long as everyone you know stays healthy i've done enough of these to see that even guys who are um in shape and have trained hard can still have like unexpected issues right so sure um thinking of like the year we did the hundred miler it was really nice because at the end of every day we we purposely ended up somewhere that was accessible by road and so if someone was having an issue you know, they only had to finish that day, for example, and then they could get out or what have you. So, yeah. um, yeah, man, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of unknowns this year and different, but that's, I mean, that's kind of the point we've done something different every year and it's, it's, that's why we do it is to create that unknown and that challenge. So, yeah, man. uh, yeah, it'll be good. Well, I'm probably late on it this year, but hopefully maybe next year I can come out and join you guys for that or something. Yeah, man. Yeah. Keep me posted. It's one of those things we get, uh, a fair amount of interest in and guys ask how to sign up and it's you know it's usually just like we don't say it's a quote-unquote invite only event but we also don't have open signups just because logistically 
um, and liability, we just can't manage. Like take right. this year, sure. we're, we're flying into the Frank. We can only fly so many guys into the Frank or even sure. on a normal year. Um, we, we run into things like different different forest service districts, even limit group parties, right? So it's like mm. you can only have so many people per group. And yeah, there's just a lot to it. So, but sure, yeah, man, man, keep me posted. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks again, man. This has been really cool. Um, why don't you just tell folks um, if they you know want to hear more from uh, about you or about EXO and uh, Hunt Backcountry Podcast? Where can people find you? Yeah, the the podcast should be pretty much anywhere you guys listen to podcasts. And yeah, just search Hunt Backcountry, uh, and it should pop up. EXO um, Mountain Gear is just E X O M T N Gear dot com. Uh, and that's for the pack systems that we make. We also have uh, the podcast there, some helpful articles. Um, there's there's a couple good resources there as well, even if you're not interested in a pack. But we have a free training program there that's really nice. good. We put together with the guys at Atomic Athlete. And it's kind of particularly tailored to guys who are training to hunt in the mountains, but either don't live in the mountains or can't access the mountains. And so it's kind of training you up for those demands with lim- very limited equipment and also without being in the mountains. And that's completely free and worth checking out. Um, and then there's a free nutrition guide there as well. And it's not about like your day-to-day diet, but more about planning strategically for like an extended hunt and what nutrition should look like. Cause obviously your demands change there a bit. So um, those yeah. are just two free things where I'd say if you have zero interest in buying a pack, that's super cool, but maybe go over and, and check those out um yeah, those are awesome. yeah that's it awesome man those are some great resources and like i said to people listening their podcast is amazing have tons of really good guests and i learned so much from these guys so definitely check them out and uh yeah thanks for your time again man i appreciate it it's good talking yeah, to you it's a ton of fun Thanks again for listening to the Hunter's Quest podcast and make sure you stay up to date on social media at the Hunter's Quest on Instagram and the Hunter's Quest podcast on Facebook and we'll have all kinds of photos and videos from my day to day as well as stuff from the awesome guests we're having on here. As always, I'm more than happy to connect with you guys if you have questions about hunting or spiritual stuff or gear, fitness Whatever, just drop me a line in my DMs or you can email me at hunter at thisishuntersquest.com. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button and leave me a rating and a review. That's really helpful. And don't forget to share with your friends. So stay tuned. Lots of cool stuff in the works. And I'm really excited to continue this quest together. Mm-hmm.